Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. A serialized non-fiction podcast that chronicles the story of 15-year-old Adrian Wilson's 147-day battle with primary liver cancer. As she lay dying, Adrian taught others, including her older sister Andrea, who raised her, how to live. Welcome back to Better Off Ball, the life in 147 days. I am your host and storyteller, Andrea Wilson-Woods. Whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. Let's get started. Days 68 through 72, Sunday through Thursday, July 22nd through the 26th, 2001. My sis is cool with surf lessons and says she'll drive me down to Venice every weekday that I don't have classes at UCLA. So I can surf and she can run and we'll bring Eli who will sit and laugh his ass off at me trying to surf. Oh, and I'll be working as a clown again this summer and I'll spend $25 of the money from my check and put the rest in my investment fund. And yeah, this is gonna be awesome. Why can't it be summer yet? Adrian's journal entry dated February 3rd, 2001. The attending physician comes up with a simple explanation for Adrian's constant cough, mucositis, which is an inflammation of the mucous membrane. He explains medications, especially those used to treat cancer, often cause this condition. We are warned Adrian might be more prone to mouth sores now since her throat is irritated already. He relays this information with a concerned smile as he prescribes yet another respiratory treatment at 5.30 a.m. I should be relieved. Adrian doesn't have pneumonia, but I can't help thinking how much worse she feels this time around. These so-called curative measures are killing her. Most of the time, I don't blame the doctors. They are only doing their jobs. However, when one pill is given to counteract the side effects of another pill, which is to stop the side effects of yet another pill, which is to help with the side effects of chemo, which is essentially poison. Where does it end? Even though she feels lousy, Adrian refuses to turn away a pause visitor. A friendly Keyshawn named Ani jumps on the chair next to Adrian's bed. This time, Adrian doesn't have the strength to lean over and pet the dog or even attempt to smile for the camera. Looking at the Polaroid afterward, I am encouraged to see more color in her cheeks, but dismayed at how far her collarbone juts out now. Spending every minute of the day with her, I don't always notice how much she has changed, but photos don't lie. She looks miserable, and a happy dog can't cheer her up this time. Round three of chemo may be over, but Adrian must be weaned off the PCA and the continuous IV drip before we can go home. Every afternoon, someone from pain management lowers the amount of Dilaudid in the IV, but increases the amount available in the PCA. Dr. Marco and our case manager, Teresa, drop by each day to encourage Adrian to push the button so they can determine the proper dosage of pain medication for her upon discharge. I count down as if I am personally launching a rocket into space. Monday, 180 micrograms to 150 micrograms. Good. PCA increases from 125 micrograms to 175 micrograms. Two steps forward, one step back. Tuesday, 150 micrograms to 75 micrograms. 
even better. Almost there. Valium given an IV instead of by mouth. Another step backwards. Wednesday, at approximately 12.30 p.m., the doctor stopped the continuous drip of Dilaudid. After 10 days in the hospital, we are clear for takeoff. We can go home soon. Adrian and I develop a new pastime in the hospital. We watch Dr. Phil on Oprah every Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock. We both like Dr. Phil because he calls things as he sees them. We also try to catch Montel Williams every day. Adrian likes the way he handles screwed up teenagers. She thinks his honesty is refreshing. After her success with meeting Dave and Jay on The Tonight Show, she insisted I write Montel a letter because she wants to meet him in person. I mailed the letter last week, but we haven't heard anything yet. Adrian has the pleasure of meeting Nurse Bitchy before I do. I step out to use the restroom down the hall since parents are not allowed to use the one in the patient's room. During the five minutes I am gone, Nurse Bitchy walks into Adrian's room and takes away her oxygen mask. She tells Adrian she needs to use the nasal tube instead. Adrian explains she doesn't like the sensation. She prefers the mask, but Nurse Bitchy overrides her objections and walks out. When I return and find out what happened, I summon Nurse Bitchy to Adrian's room. Can you explain to me why you gave my sister the nose tube? I don't give her time to answer. You do realize at 15 she is old enough to articulate what she wants and why. Nurse Bitchy glares at me. She spits out a curt, yes. Is it possible you didn't understand Adrian's explanation? I can feel Adrian smiling behind me. Stupid bitch. You messed with the wrong family. No, I, I, Nurse Bitchy sputters. Then get my sister a new oxygen mask. Now, then get me your supervisor. Nurse Bitchy turns around. One more thing. She looks back at Adrian and me. You will never be my sister's nurse again. Nurse Bitchy slams the door behind her at night when children are sleeping. Why is this woman working in pediatrics? I file a formal complaint that evening with the floor supervisor. We never see Nurse Bitchy again. I meet Veronica's father and I wonder if he heard the heated exchange. The curtain separating the two beds is for looks only. Sounds permeate the thin material, which is why we hear Veronica crying at all hours. Her father stays at the hospital during the week, but he often roams the halls at night, unable to sleep due to his normal graveyard job routine. Veronica's mother visits on the weekends with her three other children. They are kind people juggling an impossible load. When she's not keeping me awake, I feel the most sorry for Veronica, who often has no one at her bedside. Maybe Veronica is the most honest one of all, letting her pain out telling the whole world how much her illness sucks. Sure, doctors and nurses don't like crybabies. They want their patients to be strong, tough, the way I expect Adrian to be. The staff may not like John and me, but most of them love Adrian for who she is. A smart, passionate, funny, and yes, strong young woman. However, these past two weeks have wrecked her enthusiasm. Am I setting the bar too high again? Only this time, I'm not asking for straight A's.
I'm not saying make smart choices. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't do drugs. Now I'm subconsciously telling Adrian, stay the same, don't let cancer change you. Since our friend Jared is unemployed, he makes an effort to see Adrian every time she's in the hospital, day or night. John and I both trust him to be on top of things. When we're not in the room, Adrian will ask Jared, okay, they're gone, how am I really doing? He tells her what he knows, but with the caveat, he's not an oncologist. Although he doesn't have children of his own, Jared had a similar experience with his father, and he knows being honest, especially with a sharp teenager like Adrian, is the only way to keep her trust. I am not privy to their conversations. Like Adrian's live journal, she needs her own space away from me, even with our friends. During one of these visits, I walk in to find Jared massaging Adrian's calves, which are wasting away as her body has consumed its own muscle mass. To an outsider, the scenario may appear odd, but Jared has training in massage, and I can see the effects his touch is having on Adrian. Her respiratory rate has decreased by half. She is now in the normal range of 12 to 20 breaths per minute. The coughing is sporadic now, allowing her to rest more. She opens her eyes when she hears me talking to Jared about my observations. Smiling, she says she doesn't hurt much either before she closes her eyes again. An idea dawns on me. I need to ask about physical therapy. I waste no time and put in a formal request. The next day, a physical therapist, PT, shows me exercises I can do with Adrian at home. Her main concern is the continuing atrophy of Adrian's legs, which will eventually make it difficult for her to walk. The PT demonstrates the main exercise. She pulls Adrian's leg out straight in front of her. Then she lifts it in the air at a 90 degree angle and holds it there for five seconds. She then bends Adrian's knee and pushes it into her chest and holds it again for five seconds. She says repeat the exercise several times for both legs as well as reverse the direction. When I tell her I'm a former dancer and Adrian enjoys doing yoga, she recommends other stretches we are both familiar with that will strengthen Adrian's legs as well as her lower back. I mentally add physical therapy to our daily list of activities. Adrian has not been outside in 10 days. She feels slightly better after receiving a blood transfusion, which I knew was coming after seeing her lab results. After the pain management team stops by to discuss the details of her discharge, on the last bit of an anonymous donor's blood pumps its last drop into her body, Adrian asks if we can get out of the room for a while. I can't say no. Even I miss what constitutes as fresh air in Los Angeles. I secure a wheelchair from a nurse and tell her I'm taking Adrian on a short journey. I learn not to ask permission around here. I wrap a blanket around Adrian and then cover her with her chemo cozy quilt. Grabbing her IV pole, I put it between the wheelchair and my body, holding onto it and one handle with one hand while my other hand grabs the other handle. Sometimes Adrian holds the IV pole to the side while I push, but she huddles under the covers today. We make a brief stop at the gift shop in the lobby, but people stare. Let's go outside, sissy. We sit in front of the hospital, away from the smoking section, away from the happy lobby, away from everyone. At first, I make conversation. 
You're going to be discharged tomorrow, sweetie. We'll see. What if something else happens? She doesn't look at me. She stares at the cars driving down Sunset Boulevard. I can't tell her nothing else will happen when it seems like everything that could possibly go wrong during this round of chemo did. John will be here in a while. You guys can watch a movie. He can do hand duty. Yeah. I stroke her left cheek with my right hand. Are you warm enough? Yeah. Look, sissy, I don't want to talk. I just want to be. Okay. We sit there in silence, breathing in the unusually chilly July air, watching the traffic, listening to the honking horns, swimming in our thoughts. I am surprised at how much I missed being outside. I wouldn't classify Adrian or myself as outdoorsy types. My idea of camping includes a toilet that flushes, not a porta potty, but we both love nature. We have hiked in the Verdugo Mountains near our house, on trails off Angeles Crest highways, and off trails in the Red Rocks of Sedona. We believe snow is meant for skiing. We like the smell of the salty breeze that wafts off the waves of the Pacific. I didn't take her to the beach often enough. I look at Adrian. Her eyes are closed. I think about the time when I chaperoned a school trip to Universal Studios. In charge of five teenage girls, including Adrian, we laughed when they said to us, you don't look like your sister, but then you do look like your sister. Adrian knows she looks more like her father than our mother. However, I can't count how many times people have said, you two seem so different, yet you're so much alike. We have different tastes in music, films, and clothes with the exception of anything black and white, but we are more alike than I ever realized. Adrian's friends confuse inner character with outer appearance. I feel the familiar tickle of my ears, the water creeping toward my eyes. I can't let her see me cry. Ready to go in, kiddo? Adrian yawns. Sure, sissy. I reposition the covers and grab the IV pole. As we head toward the draft elevators, something else occurs to me. I don't remember ever pushing Adrian around the hospital in a wheelchair before. She always walked. One teardrop slides down my cheek, but I wipe it away with the back of my hand before Adrian can see it. I must stay strong. She needs me. I don't know if it was the fresh air, but in the middle of the night, I wake up to find the Adrian I know and love, strong, stubborn, and spirited, meticulously coloring a fuzzy velvet poster with special markers. I glance at my watch. What are you doing up at two o'clock in the morning? Coloring a poster for David, she says, as if she is attending a scheduled art class. The famous David, who procures toys, stuffed animals, jewelry-making kits, and art sets for the children, 
dropped one off the night before. Adrian felt so lousy I figured she would either do it at home or not at all. Do you need to work on it right now? She looks at me and I see that determined gleam that I know so well. She nods. Do you mind if I sleep? Nope. But look at how I colored the kittens. I want to make it perfect for him. With my eyes half open, I glance at the poster and say, Go to sleep soon. Uh-huh. I mean it. Slumping back down on the pull-out couch, I throw the blanket over my head. We're going to be out of here tomorrow. Adrian is ready to go home, and her body is too. Early on Thursday morning, a woman from pain management drops by to review Adrian's medications. Given how many new prescriptions Adrian has, I can understand why the doctors want to make sure I understand how to administer them. I scan the documents. I read, Dilaudid, one milligram, Q6. I say, you're kidding, right? Four milligrams for the entire day? That's not realistic. The woman must know my reputation because she doesn't argue with me. She says there must have been an error in the calculation from the amount given in the IV to the oral dosage. Five hours later, our case manager, Teresa, pages the attending doctor who agrees the quantity of Dilaudid is too low. By the time he adjusts the amount, another five hours has passed. The discharge papers say 1520 is our official escape time, but they fail to take into account the amount of time it takes for the in-house pharmacy to fill all of the prescriptions, which total 15 now. I'm not even counting the pentamidine treatment, the general antibiotic that replaced the nasty Bactrim, Adrian receives once a month in the clinic, and the epigen, which will be administered by Adrian's home nurse tests on Mondays. As I scan the list, I frown when I realize seven out of 15 medications are new. Granted, some of them replaced others that were not working, but I wonder if the list will continue to grow with each round of chemo. Bacitracin topical ointment applied every six hours as needed to mysterious back lesions, antibiotic to prevent bacterial infections. Boost, drink as you want, a nutritional drink similar to Ensure. Decadron, taper schedule. Give four milligrams every six hours on day one. Give four milligrams every 12 hours on day two. Give two milligrams every 12 hours day three. Give one milligram every 12 hours day four. Give 0.5 milligrams every 12 hours on day five. Corticosteroid hormone to treat nausea caused by cancer chemotherapy. Crazy. Dilaudid, give four milligrams by mouth, four times per day, and or as needed, 8 a.m., 2 p.m., 8 p.m., 2 a.m., plus one milligram every four hours for breakthrough pain only, painkiller. Elevil, by mouth, once per day, 8 a.m., antidepressant. Adrian told the doctor staying in the hospital is what made her depressed. Does she need this pill at home? Loverol, tab. By mouth every eight hours until menses stop for at least two consecutive days, then every 12 hours for two weeks, then once per day. Birth control. When are the doctors going to realize they can't control mother nature? Magnesium plus protein, by mouth three times per day, 8 a.m., 4 p.m., 12 a.m., vitamin supplement. Marinol, by mouth four times per day, 8 a.m., 2 p.m., 8 p.m., 2 a.m., 
cannabinoid to stimulate appetite and reduce nausea and vomiting. Prescribed pot, but hey, it works. Milk of magnesia, by mouth once per day, stool softener to lessen constipation. Stop if diarrhea occurs. Permanently replaces pericoles since it didn't work too well. Neupogen shot, subcutaneously once per day, 8 a.m., medicine to increase white blood cells. Nystatin, swish and swallow four times a day, 8 a.m., 12 p.m., 4 p.m., 8 p.m., antifungal. Paradex mouthwash, half strength, swish and spit four times per day, 8 a.m., 12 p.m., 4 p.m., 8 p.m. Antimicrobial, to reduce bacteria in the mouth, in case of the unseen but predicted mouth sores. Provacol, by mouth, once per day, 8 a.m., cholesterol-lowering medication. Valium, by mouth, three times per day, as needed. 8 a.m., 4 p.m., 12 a.m., benzodiazepine, tranquilizer to reduce anxiety, replaces Ativan. Zantac, by mouth, twice per day, 8 a.m., 8 p.m., anti-nausea, no more Zofran. Thank you for watching and listening to Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. Please subscribe to my channel. If you like what you're hearing, you enjoy the story, please share it with your friends. I've gotten so much amazing feedback so far. Thank you again and stay tuned for the next episode. You just heard a chapter from Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days, a story told and written by Andrea Wilson Woods. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.